Welcome back to the Marine Corps Movie Minute, where we discuss movies of the Marine Corps one minute at a time. I'm Billy, and today we've reached Minute 124. 124 begins with Gunny and Chuzu discussing their record, and it ends with a marching band. And today we have a special guest who is going to remain safely anonymous. Welcome. Hello. Before we jump into the minute, have you ever seen Heartbreak Ridge before? Um, Based on this one minute, I don't remember. If I had a guess... You've probably seen bits and pieces it here and there. Is this at the end? This is the end of the movie. That is correct. We are fastly approaching the very end of the mo- of the movie and the podcast. Tell me what it's about. It's about an aging Marine who's at the end of his tour, much like we're at the end of this podcast, and he's trying to figure out what to do with himself post-Marine Corps. He's too much of a Marine. He's too gung-ho. He does not know what life outside the Corps is going to be like. He has an ex-wife, and one of the things that I think he thinks he wants to do with himself is go back to something that was kind of safe, and that was with his ex-wife. He tries to get back to his roots as far as going back to a, a recon infantry unit, and then he also tries to get back with his ex-wife. So were they having a war and they're coming home, or...? Yes, and, and well, we, what you're getting into is the homecoming from uh, grenade, the Grenada invasion in oh. 1983. This movie was filmed in 1986, but this is, it takes place in, it's a period piece, so it takes place in 83. And this was Operation Urgent Fury, the invasion of Grenada. This is their homecoming from that. In fact, at the very beginning of the minute, when, we, when I mentioned that Chuzu and Gunny were discussing their record, that was the very end of the battle. The whole 0-1-1 and is Gunny and his good friend, Sergeant Major Chuzu, were walking away. He said, I guess we're not 0-1-1 anymore. That was in reference to Major Powers, proving what a dick he is, by stating that because they were in Korea, that was the one for the tie. They were in Vietnam, that's the one for the lost, and they never had a win. And after this, uh, Gunny basically said, I guess this is our, <laughs> this is our win. So they, 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 they were going out even. What I find funny about that exchange, it, it's a cool little exchange, but Chuzu throughout this whole movie has been a firecracker when it comes to his, like, he's got a forked tongue. Like, this dude can talk. He comes, and, and in this minute, his whole thing is, huh? Eh. <laughs> That's all he says. He's not articulate at all when he's been nothing but every time we've seen him throughout this whole movie. So you don't have much of a, a memory of this movie, then, is what you're saying. I really don't. I think I'm getting it confused with another movie. What movie would you think that is? Um, I, I don't think Clint Eastwood was in that movie, where they, uh, they're misfits, maybe, or more criminals, and then it's like a suicide mission. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, The Dirty Dozen. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, that is, that's the one with Lee Marvin as the Clint Eastwood character. And then uh, Charles Bronson's in it. Of course, then it's uh, it's a bevy of hey that guy and like Tali Savalas is in it. Yeah, there's a ton of people in that. That's that's it's a similar movie as far as the bunch of misfits and the one guy kind of putting them through the ringer to get them into shape. But Heartbreak Ridge is more of a comedy. Dirty Dozen, I believe, was probably in the '60s, if I had to say. I thought you were going to say this. You thought maybe it was Full Metal Jacket. Uh, yeah, I knew that. That one's a bit more dark than this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it it's like. a lot more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about Clint Eastwood movies? You got a favorite? I'll take your silence as a no. <laughs> Come on, everybody likes the one with the monkey. Sorry, I don't, I mean... No, it's fine. I don't have a favorite, I suppose. No, that's fine. Not everybody does. So, right after Chuzu and, uh, you know, does his grunt, the scene shifts and it's, we see an airplane, which, when I saw it, uh, the only thing I can think of is another C-130 rolling down the strip. 
I'm not even 100% convinced they're C-130s. They look a little too small, and the tail numbers look a little different, but they're close enough to a darn C-130 that that's all I can think of. Did you ever ride on one? I've never ridden on one, no. But I've seen plenty of them in person, being that I was at Cherry Point. Now, ironically, this scene is supposed to take place at Cherry Point, North Carolina. Oh, really? It is, it is, however, filmed in Marine Corps Base in El Toro, California. So, yeah, this is definitely not Cherry Point. And as Perry likes to uh, point out, that there's no mountains in, well, at least at Cherry Point, the way that you see in the background, clear as day, at second 20 when that C-130 is rolling down strip, there's a bunch of mountains in the background, and that is not Cherry Point. There's nothing but swamp over there. <laughs> but this was these were uh, the real Marine band. They were the first Marine Division band. They were actually, many of them were supposed to uh, appear and did appear earlier in the uh, the movie when there was they were at the officers club and there was a band playing but this is like the full band and they're all they're doing their thing this is what they do they were uncredited however i did have to joke or or laugh to myself as i was watching the color guard and all these guys on a parade deck uh, they just got one platoon standing off to the side in basically doing parade formation and if this was truly cherry point and if this was in the 90s when I, perry and i were in we definitely would have been one of those guys standing out there for this movie I couldn't tell you how many of them we did. Well, sorry, but how come Clint Eastwood is not, like, right, he's somewhere else, coming from a helicopter? Is it just the end of the last scene? Yeah, that was the end of the last scene. Now they cut. This is, is he on this plane, then? He is on, he's, a, he's Where's on everybody plane. else? They are all on this plane. We will see them shortly. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up, because the only recon Marines that we've been following throughout this movie that we see at the end here, on in this particular minute, is Aponte and uh, Stitch Jones. They have a little bit of a conversation, because really, <laughs> this riveting minute that I gave you... Not really a good one. A lot of action. Well, there's, hey, the music's good, at least. <laughs> Which I believe that music is Semper Fidelis and is our closing uh, outro music. They show a lot of a uh, crowd who are dressed very 80s, uh, extremely 80s. There's, there's one shot of a woman holding a baby, and that's Mrs. Aponte. You know, Aponte on the plane says to Stitch, he even flat out says, Hey, there's my family. Very soft-spoken. Hey, there's my family. And it's true, she's holding this baby. She's like, I don't know, it's like, it's almost like she's trying to pose sexy with the baby. But there was another baby earlier that got thrusted off to Clint Eastwood, and that's nowhere to be seen in this scene. So it's not his complete family there. So he sh- that should be the first question Aponte asks when he gets off the plane, but it seems that they don't even acknowledge that there wasn't another child here that we clearly saw earlier in the movie. Maybe they didn't bring it. That's true, maybe. Maybe it was with the grandma. Well, the, the Apontes had a little money trouble, so maybe they put the kid to work or something like that. So I like the little um exchange between Aponte and Stitch Jones he said kind of highlights the difference in between the two guys Aponte is a family man uh he was everything he was doing in this movie like he got a second job just because he couldn't afford to pay for his family where Stitch Jones is a you know swinging bachelor rock and roll star so he, he asked Aponte asked Stitch outright hey do you have anybody here and he's like nah man nah it's a beautiful but he's like it's a beautiful day and I'm here to play and he's like give him hell brother give him hell He's like, I will, I will. <laughs> it's it's a little funny because the way it's filmed, Aponte looks like he's almost going in for a kiss. He's just really happy that they're home. He's happy, you know, he's happy that to see his family. They're about, just about to disembark from this plane. And of course, Stitch Jones has proven himself at this point to be a leader and a guy that really cares for the rest of the, the recon. So I think Aponte is just trying to celebrate and well, he was like, well, you know, everybody here, that's fine. You'll, you give them hell. You'll find somebody or you'll, you'll, you'll do your thing. And Stitch seems genuinely happy as well. But yeah, well, unfortunately, we do not get any bit of the rest of the recon 
coming off this plane. That's that's in future minutes. Mm, thanks for that. I could have used a better one, like Lujak. I know Lujak is in this movie. <laughs> now, you're correct. Now Lujak. Now what what was uh, Lujak is Lance Corporal Forgetti. I'm not too familiar with Lujak. So what was his deal? Like what what show was that from? I remember watching him. Uh, he used to be on Guiding Light, actually. But then he went to All My Children. So Now, I had seen that he was on All My Children as Dr. David Hayworth, something like that? I think it was Hayward, but yeah, he was, uh, well, he was Lujak on Guiding Light. That's the first time I've seen him. I, I know I came, you know, obviously I'd seen it, seen him as Dr. David, and I didn't, I don't think it dawned on me right away that that was Forgetti. It took a little bit of, like, squinting, going, man, this guy seems familiar. And it's, you know, it's, because obviously it was probably a good, what, 15, 20 years since this movie where I first discovered him on that. When he was Lujak, was he a good guy or a bad guy? Do you remember? He was both. He, was he, both. he started as not a good guy, but he turned out to be good. He was a bad boy. Ah, bad boy with a heart of gold eventually. Hmm. Yeah, so unfortunately you don't get to see somebody you're more familiar with. Well, obviously you're familiar with Clint Eastwood. Mario Van Peebles, what about him? We didn't talk about him much. Do you know much that he's been in? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really know. I know who he is, but... I believe he was on All My Children. Like, he got a start there, and then I think there was a few years back. I remember looking this up. We were talking about this. I He did a brief run uh, as an older man, you know, like only in the past five to ten years. And I joked that it was like a recon reunion since Frigetti was still on that show at that time. Yeah, sorry, there's really not much to comment on on this. It's watching a band play. Let me ask you this then. Are you familiar with any of the, you know, John Philip Sousa type uh, marching band stuff that you would... Uh, no. This is Semper Fidelis, and uh, it was penned by John uh, Philip Sousa in 1888. The march takes its title from the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, Always Faithful. And it was uh, dedicated to those who inspired it, the officers and the men of the United States Marine Corps. And it's routinely, I mean, I, I don't have this in front of me. I can just tell you from experience. It is routinely used in retirement ceremonies and command change ceremonies because I've been in like a million of them. Oh, so you've heard it live then? Yes, I, I've heard uh, most of this stuff live. In fact, when I chose this song... For our outro, even though there's another song that plays after it, which I think is Stars and Stripes Forever, which is also a good song. However, I thought this was more Marine Corps specific than Stars and Stripes Forever. The movie ends on Stars and Stripes Forever. Our show ends on Semper Fidelis. The Stars and Stripes Forever you would totally recognize from every Popeye commercial every time he eats a spinach (laughs) and beats up Pluto. Yeah. I like a lot of this type of, of marching band stuff. Like I said, it's not as entertaining when you're standing out there in a hot Carolina sun with a thousand percent humidity and, you know, trying not to lock your knees so you don't pass out. But I've always enjoyed uh, this marching band type of stuff, especially these, these John Philip Sousa type stuff, the patriotic stuff, the stuff that the Marines do use. Do they play a band every time somebody comes home? Like every plane full of people? I, I couldn't answer that fully. I would probably say no. Especially because there's just so many people that may come and go at any one right. time. But that being said, I know there are plenty of ceremonies that are happening where it's like they get they come home from being over in Iraq for like a year and they line them up and they, they actually do a dismissal. So is there a ban? Yeah, maybe. 
probably. I don't know if it's done every single time. I'll jump ahead a little bit in this movie. We'll, Perry and I will discuss this later, but Stitch Jones and Clint Eastwood walk off the plane together, and he says, oh, this must be old, an old, you know, you must be used to this by now. And Clint Eastwood said, this is the first time it's ever happened. Because, you know, at the time, there was no thank you for your service. You know, Clint Eastwood, Korean War vet, among other things, but also Vietnam vet. He did multiple tours in Vietnam. Nobody was giving him anything when he came home. So that, at the time, was fairly new. And, you know, we had squadrons let going over to different places, even when I was in, and I don't recall there ever being ceremonies for them coming home. Not, not like they do now. You know, if I'm being honest, I don't think um, that guy's wife is trying to look sexy with the baby. She's just hugging the baby, and she's happy they're home. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed really funny the way they shot it to me. I mean, me. it looks a little weird, but I yeah. mean... Maybe that's just what it is, because it looks a little weird. It's not... Yeah, I'm just overplaying it a little bit, but it is um, kind of funny. How long were they away, deployed? Doesn't really say. The actual invasion of Grenada lasted about four days. It was a very quick battle, and it was a very quick victory as well. Now, that was the actual fighting. You know, it, it, it's unspecified how how long a time happened between, you know, them taking the hill. That, that That's where we see Clint Eastwood and Sergeant Major Suchusa walking away. That was the, was basically they secured that hill. They're, they're now being dismissed. So who knows how long it was before the time they, they were actually shipped back home. If there was any sort of, um, you know, post securing of Grenada to ensure that things got up and running on their own. I would have to imagine it wasn't, I, I mean, I think the way the movie kind of presents it is cut scene, they're coming home. So they leave the LZ, they're immediately coming home. But I, I would have to think there's a little bit of time uh, between it. Although we'll see later that um, Keone's has a sling on his arm. So he definitely got injured during battle. Didn't It looks more like a, a makeshift kind of sling, so I, I can't imagine that they were gone for too long, maybe a week. But this was like the first um, action that these guys have ever gotten into. Uh, but I do have uh, a little something about the Marine Corps, the 1st Marine Division Band, since I mentioned them earlier. They're based at Camp Pendleton, California. It consists of 50 musicians. Primary mission is, of, of course, to provide musical support for military parades and ceremonies. They've taken part in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and they um, provided security, rear security for bases like in Fallujah and stuff like that. I've always heard that, and actually this, by looking this up, gave me confirmation. Because we had many band members uh, in the same barracks as us when Perry and I were in in, uh, Cherry Point. And we had always heard that if we ever got deployed as a unit, they would be our security. And we used to joke, well... You know, we've we've met some of them, so uh, we want we wouldn't want them doing security. I one of my in fact, one of the most interesting roommates I had was a member of the band, and whew, he was, like I said, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, this this particular division, uh, they were formed in 1940 during World War II in the Pacific Operation Theater. This is not a very riveting minute, so do you have any final thoughts before we get wrap it up? Yeah, this seems terrible <laughs> well you got the uh you know luck of the draw if you if you will or, or or short end of the stick if you will because it was literally just the next minute what do you want me to talk about the brass well don't step on it whatever you do not on marine base they would step on brass yeah don't step on grass not grass brass oh brass oh you can't talk about brass too because i was gonna say there's what really mean, not a I, lot of grass around here i mean i don't know anything about marine corps bands <laughs> Truthfully, neither do I. Mm. Oh, only what I just read you. Well, do you know anything about C-130s? No, but I did fly a plane before. Well, there you go. That's Not that big. 
No, no, no. Few have. See, I can't even say I've flown a plane. I've flown a simulator, a flight simulator, kind of like that kid from Iron Eagle. But he actually did fly a plane. Well, yeah, he did. But that was because he was able to go into a Marine Corps base, uh, I mean, an Air Force base and steal everything that he needed. That would never happen on a Marine Corps base. That's why that movie's unrealistic. Or an Air Force base. Or any base ever. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I appreciate you taking time to discuss this riveting minute. So maybe I'll rewatch this. It, it's it's familiar, but it seems like, um, is there a scene where they maybe are in uh, barracks or something and then there's a fight? Oh, yes, totally. I don't know. There's probably a lot of fights or something. Well, not as much as you would think. Does does the one guy, he has a an earring maybe yes. or something? Yeah. Stitch yeah. Jones has an earring. He early on steals Gunny Highway's wallet. Or at least his money from his wallet and his and his bus ride and leaves him on the side of the road. Come to find out that after Gunny Highway is introducing himself to these shipbirds, Stitch Jones comes diddy bopping out of the shower with an earring on, which is first off is a big no no anyways in the Marine Corps. Secondly, Clint Eastwood <laughs> they they recognize each other right away and he gently walked him by the earring <laughs> to his barracks, got all the money back that he could, but he's like, what about the tip? Because you also stole the tip. And he's like, I don't have any more money. He's like, well, guess what? You owe me. And he rips it right out of his ear. And one of the best part of con- parts of continuity of this movie is every time you see Mario Van Peebles, Stitch Jones, he's got a bandage over his ear the whole <laughs> the rest of the movie. <laughs> so, yes. And, yes, there is a scene where they fight. They have a fight in the barracks. And that is uh, Swede, Swede Johansson. Gets out of the brig, and they think they're going to use Swede, who's a massive giant man, to beat up Clint Eastwood. And that's Pete Koch, a uh, friend of the show. He's he's guested a few times on this show to discuss that scene in particular. And we, we joked with him at the time, if you haven't seen this movie or don't remember much about it, you'll remember that scene. Because sure. it's something, exactly, and you just proved that point. Somebody who's not familiar with this movie, but you had you had a fuzzy memory of that. Um, I think it's a fun movie. Most people who we've turned this movie on to, who either saw it as a kid or didn't remember much about it, rewatched it and were like, this is great. Yes, I remember it and I really enjoyed it. There were others who had never seen it, but then watched it and went, this is great. I can't believe I missed this one. So I think that's our, been our mission more than anything is to introduce this movie to as many people as possible. Because it turns out we've yet to have somebody go, I don't like it. That could be a good homework assignment for you is to watch this movie sometime. Okay, I'll give it a go. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. Is there any final... Well, I guess you did cover some final thoughts. But is there anything else you'd like to cover about this particular minute or anything you'd like to talk about overall? Marine Corps, Clint Eastwood, or well, this movie? are these guys all like a bunch of screw-ups anyway? They were. Yes. This, is, this movie is an unrealistic movie because these guys are recon Marines in an infantry unit. There was no way they would be this lax and this shitty. However... The whole, that would go against the whole point of this movie where Clint Eastwood comes in and whips up a bunch of misfits into a elite fighting force. What you're seeing now is the homecoming of, of an actual elite fighting force. They, they had baptism by fire. They proved themselves in combat. They learned from Clint Eastwood, one of the best. But throughout this movie, it was the journey of these shipbirds. I've been comparing them to the Bad News Bears. So are they just fresh, new, enlisted people? No, as a matter of fact, most of them have been in for a little bit because, like, Mario Van Peebles is a corporal. And, in fact, we'll learn that he is about to be, he's about to get out. Or or is he? That's a teaser. 
there's other people that were corporals. Now, the lieutenant, he's a boot-ass lieutenant. He is fresh out of, out of OCS. This is probably his first assignment. I've got the impression that Swede, he's a private. But the only reason he's a private is because he hit his last... The, the, the guy be, be prior to Gunnery, Sergeant Highway, coming there. So he was demoted in rank. But most of these guys are, you know, PFCs or Lance Corporals, which means they were in a little bit of time. Uh, but again, not all of them were, were boots fresh out of boot camp. Why did he get demoted? Who, sweet? Because he punched a man. He punched... Uh, there was a guy that, that before Clint Eastwood got to their unit, this is one of the reasons they were so lax, is they had major powers, came over from supply. He was not an infantry officer. The, the man that they had... The equivalent to the Clint Eastwood prior to um, uh, Clint Eastwood getting there, they said he was road, retired on active duty. He basically just didn't care anymore. So these guys were left to their own devices. Well, what are 18 to 24-year-old guys who feel like they're, they don't have any direction are going to do? They're going to just do whatever the fuck they want. And they did. They were left to their own devices. That's another. That's one of the reasons that Major Powers was annoyed with Gunny Highway getting there because he was another relic, another guy he feared was going to be retired on active duty. He just didn't know what he was getting get in, in store for. Uh, so Swede at some point was in the brig, and we have to assume it was because he punched somebody higher ranking, and so that's gonna that's frowned upon. As Perry and I have stated in the past, we've seen that firsthand. And Is it, that right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. You knew somebody that did that? I knew a higher-ranking individual who attacked a lower-ranking individual and then tried to cover it up. And then he was... Um, I, I actually recently talked about it, but, but the gist of it was the it was a master gunnery sergeant, which was higher than you know Clint Eastwood, equivalent to what Sergeant Major Chuzu is. And it was a staff sergeant. Staff sergeant had his own office, had his own thing. It was a little closet. And something happened. I saw them in the hall. Something happened where the master guns took some, considered what was said to him as disrespect. It was not. It was just a disagreement. Watched the whole thing. And he said, you can't talk to me that way. You can't talk to me that way. And he, he was this huge, humor monster looking guy. And the other guy was like just a regular dude. And he stormed into his office, slammed the door. Next thing you know, we hear nothing but commotion. We hear just... I mean, it's kind of like a comedy show where, like, you just hear her off screen and, like, everybody's, like, making faces. Like, ooh, what's that? He comes out. He's like, don't you fucking touch it. Don't you touch a thing. And we, there was three of us, and we kind of, because we were like, what what do we do as, you know, I think I was a, possibly, a, I don't even think I was a corporal at the time. I was a lance corporal. So I had a corporal and two lance corporals. We're, t- we're standing together. What do we do? Because we were literally in the office well, next to it. What was he telling you not to touch? Oh, it wasn't us. Oh. He was telling the Master Guns. The Master Guns was trying to clean up all the mess that he created. Apparently, what he did is he picked up the phone and started beating the guy with the phone on it. I swear to God. His... <laughs> and so one of the things he was trying to do is pick up the phone, pick, put the desk back together the way it was. And, and the staff sergeant said, don't you fucking touch a thing. You get out of my office. And he did. He he, backed up. he knew he screwed up. Once, once everything calmed down, he knew he was in for it. This dude was well past 20 years. He had already had trouble personally with stuff in the past. So it was like he, you know, you don't want to jeopardize your retirement at this point or anything like that. But that staff sergeant was not going to back down. So he ended up locking the door and he went right over to basically the sergeant major. And he was like, this needs to be handled. This cannot go on. This is BS. So they, you know, we were just kind of there. and But we saw before he locked it, we saw just the commotion. I mean, the, the destruction of the office. It was pretty bad. So... Right after that, that staff sergeant came on and used, took, went to my desk. 
he went to my desk and sat down and, and wrote up a statement. And then at some point they came to us and said, you three, you need to write up a statement. So we, you know, we did, told the truth. What happened to him? Um, so I mentioned this uh, briefly on the podcast before, but it was my understanding that they didn't want to punish this guy too bad because, like, like I said, his uh, years in service and all that good stuff. They tried to calm down the staff sergeant not to really pursue this much more. But one of the things that they did is they said, what kind of schooling would you like to go to? Like, what kind of, where would you like to go? You know, um, I don't think it went down quite the way I'm explaining it, but this is basically the gist of it. So he was sent on uh, TAD, temporary, temporary assigned duty, probably to the school of his choice type thing. And by the time he got back there, that master gunnery sergeant was retired quietly. And they asked him to retire quickly. You know, like, so it was basically like he was forced to retire you know, it's like, hey, give me your resignation. Um, so, yeah, and it was done before. But it's not like he he didn't get any demerits or, or, or any light do. You know, like, they didn't take any pay from him, nothing like that. It was just like, it's time for you to go. <laughs> I think that it, that quieted everything down. That way they could just separate those two. They didn't have to see each other. That guy was, and he was so quiet after that. Because I worked kind of directly for him, that guy. And he just, he was a different person after that. He knew he screwed up, so... All sorts of crazy stuff happens. Hey, can you tell me the ranks of your enlisted people? Sure. So it, there is private. That's the bottom. That's the very bottom. Well, actually, if you really want to talk about the bottom, in the Marine Corps, you are a recruit when you go to boot camp. You are not even a private. You are not considered a Marine till till you graduate. Mm-hmm. And how long is that? 12 weeks? 12 weeks, yeah. So uh, you recruit. You're Now Now the way they do it, it used to be that you... You got the Eagle Globe and Anchor, Eagle Globe and Anchor sewn on like the last week you were in boot camp, and then you go and graduate. You're a Marine, blah blah blah. The way they do it now is they actually have something called the Crucible, where it's like a two or three day outdoor team building. You know, you have to do all, you have to work together and do all this stuff. Once you make it through, and you get like two hours sleep in like two days, two or three days. Um, once you go through the Crucible, they have a little ceremony. You get you get your Eagle Globe and Anchor. They hand it to you. You are now a Marine. I like that. I like. I yeah. I wasn't sure about the Crucible when it first came out, but I like that aspect of it. It's like it's like a final exam. Why not? Because you're scared. Um, I because they got rid of things that we did to in order to replace it. Like they don't like they don't do some of the stuff that I did when I was in. You'll always find that whenever whatever it was when you were in it was always better than what they're doing right now. It was tougher when I was in. I mean, they told us that, and we tell the new guys that now. And in some respects, it is 100% true. Um, in other respects, I actually... So at first, I thought the Crucible was like, well, this is, you're just getting rid of basic warrior training that you do for th- two, three weeks out, out in the field. But that's not true. Um, it, it's it's something different. I actually, But I like that now. I think that's a neat... Like, a, like you said, it's almost like a final exam. And it's something you have to do to earn. Not just like... For us, it was just kind of like, well, you've reached this point in boot camp. Here you go. So you could do all the time and boot camp and then if you don't do good at the crucible you don't become a marine or i mean i don't know exactly how it works but any like if if it's still the case at any time if you don't meet certain qualifications you get recycled you get pushed back so let's say like when i was in if i did not do good at the rifle range let's say i didn't qualify then after the rifle range they have something called mess and maintenance week and that's a week of like Hey, you guys have done everything you've need to do, right? Well, guess what? Now we're going to put you to work for a week. But all those guys, and maybe say, let's say somebody failed qualification. Maybe, maybe you know, they were one point off from qualifying. Well, they get to go back and practice all week. 
this is the week for them to, to get caught up to where they need to be. Swim koala, let's say. Let's say they never swam before in their life. A lot of, I, I knew some big, huge dudes that were like kittens in the water because they had never been in it. They were just scared. Um, so that maybe that, they would go back and requal them because they really just, they had to have the exposure to the water and realize they're not going to drown. So that would happen then. But let's say you still didn't do it. You would get recycled back to another platoon. So you would go back in training. So you, you could potentially be on Paris Island or boot camp for, for much longer than um, 12 weeks. Or if you get injured, you would then... You can't pro- progress forward with your platoon, so you would get picked up by another platoon who is, all right, they're at this point now, you're going to get sucked. And we picked guys up. We picked a couple guys up that were injured. I think one guy did fail something and came back, you know, by that point they got him remediated and he moved on with us. To get back to your original question, though, so there's recruit, there's private, and then there's PFC, Lance Corporal. Private first class, is that right? Yes, that's correct, private first class. And then it's Lance Corporal, Corporal, Sergeant. Staff sergeant, gunnery sergeant, and then it splits off. You can then either be a master sergeant and then a master gunnery sergeant, or you can be a first sergeant and then a sergeant major. And then, yeah, it is a lot. And then, there, and, and that's based on your, um, a lot of times your career field, like like the more technical jobs, you're going to become a master sergeant. A more combat oriented role, like a, a grunt or somebody like that, they're going to be a first sergeant and then, and then so on. So it really kind of depends. And then some enlisted can then be, go on to become warrant officers. And they're, they're guys that are uber, you, typically they're uber um, good at their particular field. Like they're specialized, like, like a subject matter expert almost. But then people tease that warrant officers just kind of are really good at disappearing and, and not actually doing any work, which is nice. <laughs> you know, like, wait, where's a warrant officer? <laughs> I actually, one of my first um, commanding officers from my particular shop was a warrant officer. Is that the guy in Band of Brothers? The guy that always disappeared. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, no. He unfortunately he was legitimately he was. I think he was a lieutenant, but <laughs> he was a full enlisted guy. Or not enlisted, full. He was an officer, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go check my command. <laughs> so, do they follow up like after this minute? What happens to everybody? You know, to to jump ahead and Perry and I will delve into this a little deeper. But you're gonna see the rest of the Marines. Um, come off the come off the plane and interact a little bit with the uh, people. The people, yeah. This is just you got the riveting minute of a plane pulling down a runway. Thanks. You did get a cool line with uh, you know Clint Eastwood saying oh one and one, but it's not really a cool line. Well, it's because you don't have any context of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks cool with a cigar, but. And I actually forgot to mention this when because we we only briefly talked about it, but he's got the cigar on. He puts his jungle cover on. The strap gets caught around his chin, and because of the cigar, I think so. He's like trying to like mess with it to get it back so it looks right. <laughs> I wonder has he ever had a movie where he's not smoking a cigar? You know, honestly, I think the I, and I mentioned this before because of this movie and the spaghetti westerns. I always think of Clint Eastwood with a cigar, and. I'm thinking back, and I've watched several movies where he, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't have a cigar, so I don't know why. I think just because this movie was so prominent in my youth, and well, actually throughout my life, but also, you know, everybody knows the spaghetti westerns, that's why I always think he's got a cigar. He may have smoked, but I think he mostly chewed tobacco in Outlaw Josie Wales. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he smokes in too many of his movies, honestly. Clint Eastwood's a legitimate health nut. So I don't know, I don't want to say health nut, he's health conscious. So I don't know if he typically... How do you know that? Uh, just based on his 
physical regimen, and I've heard multiple times. In fact, even Pete Cochin mentioned that Clint Eastwood always had healthy um, stuff at catering. Pete had mentioned him, Mario Van Peebles, a couple other guys got to work out with Clint Eastwood once or twice in the at the base gym while they were filming, and he thought that was really neat. So, in fact, I, I think in this movie in particular, this is some of the biggest as far as muscle wise that Clint Eastwood's looked. He's in good shape in almost all his movies, but I think he's he's actually fairly muscular for a, a tall, lean guy that he is in this movie. Do you have any other thoughts, questions? I really don't, but thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, coming on and, you know, taking, a, I would say, an outsider's perspective onto this movie, uh, somebody who's not as familiar with it. Well, I do wish I had watched it. Yeah. Just to refresh my memory, because I, I know some scenes, but... I do feel like you would, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think you would know more if you watch it and be like, oh, yeah. This is probably the worst minute. Yeah, right. But, oh, there are worse minutes. There are. I mean, really? As far as finding stuff to talk about, yes, there are definitely worse minutes. Believe me, there are better minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a talkative person anyway, so it's <laughs> not like... really great. Okay, so I'm um, a little on the quiet side, and this is a quiet minute, so that's a good combo. <laughs> I, I actually uh, think you did a great job. I think you found um, plenty of stuff to talk about. This de- episode definitely went a lot longer than I thought it would, so um, I think it's great, and I appreciate you coming on and talking. So if we got nothing else, I'll just uh, ask everybody to check out uh, the, well, I, I usually do it for Friday, but I'll just say, Check out moviesbyminutes.com. Uh, go ahead and check us out on the Marine Corps Movie Minute Facebook page and court, private group, The Quarter Deck. Give us any feedback on this riveting minute if you are listening. I'd like to thank our guest for, for you know coming in and giving a, a different take on the movie or just a different uh, feel to the podcast. And we'll, uh, Perry uh, will be back next minute and we'll, we'll really we'll wrap up this movie, actually. We're getting really towards the end. And before we go, just remember, everybody, it's a, be- it's a beautiful day. And your boy Billy is here to play.